forever. Dog. To relatively healthy. I'm Janie Stoller, and today on the show, I'm joined by my incredible friend, the comedian Pat Regan. And on the show, you will hear that when I lived in New York and was on an improv team with Pat, we loved each other, and it was a wonderful friendship. And I always thought he was the funniest person alive. But he was dealing with addiction at the time in a very real way, and I'm going to talk with him about that time and getting sober and how he's doing now. So I'm really excited because this is sort of like the first time we've talked in a while. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Relatively Healthy. I'm Janie Stoller. And today I'm joined on Skype by one of my favorite people and a role model to the comedy community and all folks. He is and what he would describe as, well, everyone would describe as a beloved comedian, but he would throw in that he has no credits and disagree. We were just talking before the show about how many credits he does have. So I'm going to give him credit and say he does have credits. So everyone, please welcome Pat Regan. Hey, everyone. It's me, Pat Regan. <laughs> it's so funny. I always have people, I always, whenever a host is like, what do you want me to introduce you? I have a mo- as I'm always like, tell them I'm about a beloved comedian with zero credits or projects. And it's so fine to me, but it always is like awkward for the host because the <laughs> audience like doesn't know that I've said that. And they're like, oh my God, they're dragging him. Oh my God. Why would they say that about him? Also but inaccurate. I, w- I won't quit the bit. No, I, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like I have good credits. You know what I mean? Like sound credits, credits you can build a life on. Like, I just don't feel like I have that. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Anytime I say a credit, I feel like I'm stretching and I hate that feeling. Like, I don't need to impress anyone with credits. Do you know what I mean? But then there's Wait. people who have the credit, but you know, deep down they hated that job. Like someone oh, who no was one, on SNL yeah. and hated it. Like, sure, they have the credit, but they were miserable. So, right. You and know? every once in a while, someone will get a credit when I just know they're not ready for it. Yes. Like, it's so sad. I feel so sad for them that. It's like, um, and then the rest of their life, that is the credit and you can't mm-hmm. do anything about it. And that's like one of the most painful things about this life. And that's why I'm so glad I didn't get success young and still haven't gotten success. And you know what I mean? That's why I'm glad I'll never have success because yeah. it's, yeah, I didn't peak young, nor will I ever. It always feels like a climb. And Truly. so no one will ever say she peaked. My heart goes out to those who peak. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. That's how I feel about living in a studio apartment. It's like, well, I'm not going to die in this one. I still have to get a better one first. Um, Truly. (laughs) So, Pat, we haven't talked in so long, but... I know. um, It's truly been ages. Ages. You are someone that I've known for quite a few years through comedy and improv. We were on the same iconic team, um, which... Which, yes. Which was... Which was the best best Lloyd team on paper IRL of truly mediocre Lloyd Lloyd team. Really not a good Lloyd team. Had a lot of really talented, funny people on it. Probably the most disastrous team I've been on. (laughs) Wild. 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 And (laughs) since that time, like, I guess, I feel like you have gone through a lot of, like, personal transformations over the past year. So um, I hope that, like, in this conversation... First of all, I don't want to touch on things that like make you uncomfortable. But I also think um, for me, it's like I haven't been with you in the process of your recovery. So I uh-huh. am ask, asking questions probably a little bit blind. So I just want to like, caveat totally. that. Um, totally. And don't worry, I'm, pr- I'm pretty much an open book. Like what I'm discovering about myself is I love attention like <laughs> slightly more than I hate attention. So I'm like at all times happy to have the microscope on me. I appreciate that. Um, That's but awesome. recovery is one of those things that it's like weird to talk about because you are so obsessed with it. And it is, especially in the somewhat, I still identify as being in somewhat or relatively early sobriety. Mm-hmm. And it's such a huge part of your life mm-hmm. um, that it's kind of like all you want to talk about. But then sometimes it's like, oh, should I be like saying this publicly? Interesting. Um, but I have no, I truly have no shame about it. And I think that it's interesting. And like, a great part of my brand <laughs> but there is still like this sometimes weird stigma around it but I think our yeah. generation like doesn't feel 
that way so much. Yeah, I'm really curious about that because I also think, and we'll talk about this, but like I think our view of addiction in this generation has shifted maybe from previous ones, or at least the people we know maybe have more of an understanding of it. I feel like yeah, for sure. now people understand that it's a disease that needs treatment versus I feel like in the past it was like, we used a moral to, issue. yeah, exactly. So I guess that leads into like my first question, which is what was your understanding of addiction growing up and how did you see it when you were younger? Yeah, that's really funny that you ask. Like, um, I was like, I was not straight edge, but I, I did not even drink until like all of high school. Like I really started drinking not until college and, um, and I had no concept of addiction really. Like I didn't. I did all the dare stuff. Like I took health and like learned about drugs, but I didn't do, I would like never have done a drug. I was very into track and cross country and I was like fun, but not popular. And I just wouldn't have ever been invited to like do drugs or like even go to a drinking party. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't even really understand what like a high was, you know, I, like I remember everyone being like, don't get high. And I'd be like, Oh, absolutely not. But what I would learn later is that like certain highs, it's just like being immediately happy. And once I made that discovery, um, that's when my gears shifted. Mm-hmm. But like, um, but yeah, I had no, like I'm no one in my family besides myself is in recovery. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so sometimes I get envious of like other people in my recovery program who like, there are people that it's like a mom and a daughter and they're both in it and they both have their own journeys. But like when the kid was like, ready to get sober they kind of had someone to guide them through it yeah whereas for me it's just a lot of like kind of pioneering it yourself and Mm -hmm. like worrying a little bit what everyone else thinks in your family you know what I mean yeah totally because no matter what from my understanding no matter what your addiction looks like it's always part of the people you interact with too and so when you're doing it alone it's like you're figuring out how to navigate people who aren't in recovery and like people who don't have the same understanding while you're just dealing with your own stuff. So that sounds yeah. difficult. Yeah. And my also early recovery, honestly, even to this very weekend was like very much um, like I lived in Brooklyn and that was where like the worst of my drinking and using was. Mm-hmm. And from that, like, it's funny that we were on this, we were on witch together because that was really when I was like at my worst, like there were full, which practices that I just straight up don't remember. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I like lost my job and I lost my apartment and like eventually had to move home to get sober to my parents' house on Long Island, mm-hmm. which my parents are, we get along. Um, but you know, like that was when I was maybe 28 mm-hmm. and I'm 29 now. And I didn't come out till I was 25 and I just hadn't spent this much time around my family since I came out. And so like that was a weird part of it. And just, um, you know, addiction is like a family disease and alcoholism is like a family disease and like it affects everyone around you. And it's, it's just weird to, mine was very much like a lot of times people take a break from their family for the first like two years they're getting sober. And my first year and a half, I've I've just been like more around them than I have since like my teen years. Mm. So that's been like a weird struggle. Yeah. And also I'd imagine it's jarring to just be out of the life you knew the life in Brooklyn and yeah. being in a completely different context than what you thought you would be. Well, you just feel like a, you feel like truly like a walking, talking sign of the times. Like mm-hmm. I like live on a sectional sofa in my parents' basement. Like, um, I watch my parents Netflix. Like I don't have my own car and it's just like, there are lots of moments in, in my first year of sobriety. I like for a while was, my old English teacher from high school who I'm still in touch with was like going to help me start tutoring SATs to like make money. And, um, so for a while I was like observing her, like teaching her SAT course in my high school. And so they were like, like for a bunch of Tuesdays in a row, I was like in my high school, like in a, in like a class at like a desk surrounded by teens, like diagramming sentences to my old English teacher. And it felt like my brain was bleeding. And I was like, am wow. I in 2001 right now? Wow. But, um, it was just, it's just funny, but, um, but it's also helpful because like when I came out and I was 25, I was like, never going to come back and like be around these people. I was like, I was just like, I'm never going to be comfortable in that environment again. Like see you never. And, um, and even though I like, I would have never admitted that, like I was like hurt by that. And so, in my first like year and a half of sobriety, I've been like, 
my face has really been shoved in my past and it's been like you're gonna sit here for a while and like mm-hmm. get comfortable here and I hated that but it really like think I think that a lot of healing happened as lame as that sounds um and I feel like a lot got dealt with that otherwise never would have if I like had the financial means to still like live in Brooklyn and feel cool and it's also yeah. great about like being in a I'm in a 12-step recovery program and mm-hmm. like there are more young people than you think and um and it's like everyone, like even when I see my friends from comedy or whatever, when I go into New York, like, and someone, cause in New York, like the number one icebreaker question you get is like, where do you live? Mm-hmm. And I can never just like say an answer. Like it's, I, it's like a 10 minute downward spiral. Of like, okay, well, this is what happened to me in my twenties. And, um, and it's exhausting. And I'm like, well, I don't need to be telling them all this, but on, in my program, it's like, there are so many people that just have been through the same exact thing between the ages of 25 and, and 35. And it's nice to just not have to like kind of apologize for it. You know what I mean? Like there's an understood kind of camaraderie. Yeah, I bet that makes total sense. So what was your, what was your life in Brooklyn? Like before you moved back, like how would you describe, I mean, you said you were, you were at improv practices. You don't remember, like, did you, did you know then that you had a substance abuse issue? No, no. Yeah. like until I did, but like, um, like this is really the deal of what happened. Like I didn't drink all of college and then like I started drinking. I mean, I didn't drink at all till college and then in college I drank a lot, but so did all my friends. Mm-hmm. Like it was just normal. And, um, at some point during college, I picked up Adderall for the first time. Like just to like study with it, like an amphetamine ADD medicine. Mm -hmm. And that was like the first time I got high. And that was when I was like, Oh my God. Like, I think that low key I've always probably suffered from like depression undiagnosed. I've had lots of like, besides my alcohol and addiction, like other troubling mental health issues. Mm -hmm. But, um, that was just kind of was never dealt with. Like, that's just not part of kind of my family's canon, like therapy and stuff. So I never, there was just lots of other stuff going on. And to like take a pill and, and immediately be like very, very happy was such a discovery. And so like, I just kept drinking all of college and also like secretly doing tons of Adderall and like not sleeping for a long time. But at first it was like intermittent and then there'd be months where I'd do it like every week and then it, it would kind of come in and out. And then when I moved to Brooklyn and was uh, after college, I was performing at UCB. And at first I had this really good job where I made lots of money. Um, like... I kept drinking the same way I did, I thought, but all of a sudden it just like became a thing around the theater where I felt like suddenly I was constantly defending myself that I didn't have a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. And it just became a thing. Like, I just feel like, why am I always like explaining to people that I don't have a problem with alcohol? Mm -hmm. And, you know, at, at some, some, at some point during those years, I came out and I didn't handle that with very much grace. Like I, I was very mortified by the whole like coming out process. Like I just felt very stressed and exposed the whole time because UCP is this weird microcosm where it's like I don't know all of a sudden like tons of people who watched me perform like knew I was gay and lots of people in my family didn't even know I was gay and I was like uncomfortable with that dynamic and so I was performing a lot like every night I would just have two drinks and like once I had two drinks I would just be out till 5 a.m and then sometimes I was also like stealing Adderall regularly so sometimes I would also be like secretly up for three days and um, I thought Adderall, I've always felt shame around. Like, I never told anyone when I was on Adderall because I knew it was weird and bad that I was doing that. Mm-hmm. But the alcohol, I was like, I'm literally just having fun. Like, I thought, it, and also, like, sometimes that's, like, how it would start. Like, I never used to be very comfortable socially, especially around straight men. But it was very important to me to have straight male friendships so that people didn't think I was gay. And alcohol, like, gave me that. And, like, when I was drinking a lot and like at a party I remember always thinking like I can't believe this like I'm having conversations with guys and like I'm getting away with it like this is easy and mm-hmm. I my shoulders are down like this is great and um I remember people saying like oh Pat like I love how you're always down for one more and I like love to be that kind of fun person yeah and meanwhile I had this like, really good job and I just couldn't handle it and like s- slowly slowly I went from like a weekend drinker to someone who was like um, drinking every night until like five to someone who was like on something round the clock. Like I would just wake up whenever, like show up to work at like noon. 
eventually they fired me and I had a bunch of savings and, um, I just didn't get another job. I just like would stay, stay inside all day and then go out all night. And, uh, it got really dark. I was very like isolated and, um, mad. Like I was really mad at everyone all the time. I was at all times like mad at at least like four of my closest friends. And, um, and I just felt like a victim and I felt crazy. Like I remember always explaining to people, like I didn't used to be this way. Like I didn't used to be crazy. Like I used to have a good head on my shoulders and, uh, basically like that all, I still didn't think I had like a real problem. I was also using oxy at this time because my dad was prescribed a lot of oxy and I was stealing that and taking it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I lost my apartment, but I still didn't move home and I was like crashing around and basically things just got more and more chaotic until I had this one bad, like inciting incident where I kind of had to like admit that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting too, because with UCB, like of all the places where Wait, you, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. I was going to say like where you can drink every night and do drugs and it not manifest with the same sort of like, I guess not consequences, but you can hide it there because you get paid in drink tickets and there is a culture of like, especially in New York, staying out late after shows Mm-hmm. And you don't really know much about people's day to day. You see them at practice, you see them at shows, you see them around the theater. And if you're fun, it's like rewarded. And if you're, you know, partying, that's part of the culture. So I feel like, I mean, we can talk about this, but like the relationship between being in that environment too and just how uh, socially accepted it is to be out till, I was out till 5 a.m. a lot of Wednesday nights, which makes no sense. And it wasn't even like no one raised yeah. an eyebrow. It doesn't make any sense. But yeah, we can get into that separately. That's yeah, like I know what you mean. Like, there's definitely lots of people who do that, and you could feel normal around those people. Like, I don't know if like like I had friends that I would like use with, and then friends that I wouldn't. But um, but it's strange actually because UCB is like the place where I got called out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that was the place where all of a sudden I was drinking more than everyone. And it was like my college friends were shocked when I got sober um, because they were like, didn't think I had a problem and they all still drink a lot, but their lives are like fine. Mm -hmm. And at UCB, I was like, why isn't everyone like drinking more? Like, aren't we at a bar? Like, isn't, aren't we like having fun? Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, like it was a weird thing where it's like everyone is drinking a lot, but sometimes like that's when it's people are quick to point the finger at someone who's like drinking a bit more, you know what I mean? I mean, right. I'm not sure. Like I know what you mean where it is like this environment where, where kind of like those rules got the window and it, it feel there's this pressure that you have to always be around just like generally around or everyone's going to forget you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was like a big, I was like, I have to go out and drink with everyone. I have to be fun with everyone. Um, but I don't know. It just turned them. I don't know if it's because I was like secretly using drugs too. So like I would really seem like very, very fucked up. Mm-hmm. But um, all of a sudden it was like, like all of my friends were like, you're drinking too much. And I was like, oh my God, like chill out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So then what was the step that brought you to recovery? So basically I was writing a spank, um, which is a sketch show at, UCB where like it's an audition for a run and um and it was like when I was at honestly my craziest and I like didn't I don't I forget if the script was good I remember thinking the script was really good but I was just like a true psycho to like everyone involved like for especially the two weeks leading up to it and I was like always like an hour late like other people were like taking off work to be in my show it was like Four of my very close friends and me were in the show and another very good friend was directing it. And, um, and it just so happened that like the week leading up to the show, I was kind of like on this run where like, I was just all over the place. Like, don't remember the week. Like there were practices that week that I showed up to, but was, I just had this like emptiness in my eyes, I'm sure. And I was in a place where I was like functional, but not forming memories. And, um, and it's funny because none of this like seemed wrong to me at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had the day of the show. So then I, all I know, like we were having 
tech for the show at three on the the day of the show, and the show was at six fifteen. And don't remember like the three days before the show. I like woke up. Other people like literally took off work because that was the only tech date like I was able to book because I waited too long. So I didn't have a job, so it was fine for me. But other people had to like put in to take off work for that day. I woke up in my like childhood bedroom on Long Island at like three. Tech was at three in Chelsea. So I started just like freaking out. And I was like, and I just remember hearing my mom be like, he's freaking out again. And and I just remember being like, oh my God, people are like scared of me. Mm. And um, I think I was on, I had to, I think what happened was I'd been up for a long time and I took Oxy to come down, which was something I would do sometimes, but it's kind of stupid to do that because Oxy in its own way is like kind of an upper, just that it can like keep you up. And um and then if you if it, if you do start nodding on it, it's like not real sleep. So you're this weird like zombie when you wake up. And I remember like getting on the train, going to um going to the theater, got off the train, left my phone on the train. No mm-hmm. one knew where I was. Like I got to the theater at like six oh five for a six fifteen show. Tech had been at three. People were like waiting and I had like script changes and people were like, get the fuck out of here. You can't do that. And then I got like mad at them for like saying that. And um and then I like left the theater again. And then I came back at like 614. We did the show. I don't I don't remember the show. Um and like and then I went home and I was like, do you guys want to like get grab a drink after? And everyone was like, no, we gotta go. And uh and I remember like sitting at McManus, a bar we all go to with my brother who had came to watch it. And I remember I couldn't stay awake like in the McManus booth. I just kept nodding off. Mm-hmm. And then um then like the next week I was supposed to have a meeting with the artistic director of the theater and the the friend who had directed it for like notes. And then um like the day of that meeting, um I got an email from the artist director that's like oh the director can't make it but still come in and we'll go over it and I went in and I just remember she looked really nervous and um there was just a really like intense air in the room and she like started saying something about the show and she's like but listen I have to stop and um like people have come to me about your drinking and I've heard that pills are involved and basically she kind of did like a intervention mm-hmm. and I remember she like slid me this like paper of resources and it was just like mortifying I remember and I remember at that point in time I wanted truly more than anything else in the world to get on to Harold Knight like that was the most important thing in the world to me mm-hmm. but and um I remember just thinking I'm never go- going to get on to Harold Knight and I remember being mortified professionally and personally and um she kept, she'd listed different friends of mine that had come to her separately. And then she found out I missed tech. And, uh, I remember just breaking down, like kind of, I was just so exhausted and I was like, I'll do whatever you want. Like I will stop drinking. And she was like, okay. So I like left her and I really was like, I'm going to stop drinking, but I truly didn't know anything of any recovery program like at all. And so I tried to stop on my own multiple times and I literally couldn't like at first when you're trying to quit drinking you think you just keep changing your mind like Mm. you're like oh I guess I don't want to stop anymore but then you do that enough times you're like wait I have tried to stop drinking so many times and like every single time I've started drinking again and it's resulted in disaster I remember my first instance of like attempted like controlled drinking I like slept on the subways that night because I like stayed Mm. out too late for the person whose apartment I was staying at Mm. and I didn't have anywhere to go. So I just slept on the subways because I was so drunk, but I was like, I hadn't done drugs that night. So it's like, wow, like I did it. Like I'm like normal. And, um, that's like the blind spot that alcoholism and addiction is like, you can't, it's the, it's like, it talks to you in your own voice and the decisions that it's making, it feels like you're making. So Mm -hmm. you think you're like choosing to drink more, but like you chose not to, you know what I mean? Right. You're being controlled. um, Yeah. mm -hmm. And then, if my answers are too long at any no, point, you can like no, interrupt me. No. Okay. I feel like I'm giving like 10 minute answers to yes or no questions. No, this is great. But that's my personality. <laughs> um, <laughs> Never change. I love it. Um, and I also feel like I'm not being hilarious, which is at that's all times okay. my goal. I don't think we're like, okay. we'll get to, we'll have some fun at the okay. end. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, cool. I want to get punchy at the end. You'll get punchy at the um, end. I'll give you a punch, a punch moment. And so then I like a dear friend, um, who is not, who had been in that show, who is not an alcoholic, but, um, 
he, we like were having brunch or something and he was like, someone reached out to me about like this recovery program. Like I, he's like as a favor to me just to see if it would be helpful. Like, do you want to go? And I was like, okay, fine. Like I'll go to this with you only because he's like the nicest person. And I, at that point to it felt like no one liked me anymore. Mm. And, um, and, um, so I was like, um, so I just wanted people to like me again. And, uh, I would have done like anything anyone asked. And also I was so tired. Like I hadn't slept in literally years. And so I, um, went to, um, so I went to a recovery program with him and I remember liking it a lot and, and really identifying with what everyone said, um, and being like, Oh wow, I'm definitely an alcoholic. Um, but then I was like, I'm never going to go to this again, though, because it's lame. Like, I was like, oh, I don't have time, even though I did not have a job or, like, friends or a hobby at this point. And uh, so I was like, I'm just going to start, like, I'm just going to stop drinking on my own. And that's when I really found, like, that's when I, like, made a hardcore decision not to drink anymore. Mm-hmm. But then I kept, like, secretly drinking when I, when I was with people. Like, I had friends who I knew didn't know that I was, like, not drinking anymore. So I would, like, hang out with them and drink. And then I was hanging out with my other friends. I would either drink before I got there or I would, like, um, or I would, like, secretly drink while I was there but where they couldn't see me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in my head, I was, like, <laughs> in my head, if you asked me, I would have been, like, yeah, I'm not really drinking right now. But I, like, was drinking very much. And uh, and then I was with this group of people after an ASP that I think you were in. And we went to, like, um, we went to this bar after that, like, and no one there knew I wasn't drinking anymore. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, and it was this random bar where my friend who took me to the program, like, would never have come. And I was, like, I'm pretty safe here. And, like, everyone ordered their, like, drinks from the waitress. And I was, like, I'm just going to have a water. And then she started to leave. And I was, like, wait, actually, like, I'll have a beer. And as soon as she brought it, like just by a random coincidence, like that friend walked in and oh, saw wow. it and, um, he was like so kind about it. But I remember like just seeing myself through his eyes and I just mm-hmm. like hated myself so much at that point. And, uh, and then everyone left and me, my friend just talked for like two hours about like what to do. And he was like, listen, like I've never been through like what you're going through. Like, I don't know how to help you, but, um, but we knew this other performer at the theater had been sober for like eight years. And he was like, maybe we should reach out to him and see if like he can help you. And it is. And so I was like, okay, fine. Like whatever. Cause I was like glad he wasn't mad. And then that performer called me like the next day, maybe. And I remember, I think I was on Adderall the first time he called me. So I was like, this has to be a short phone call. And, um, and we set up like a meeting at a coffee shop and I met with him and it is funny. Like that's the thing about alcoholics is like as an alcoholic, who's like been through this experience, you do have this like unique ability to relate to and help another alcoholic in a way that also then keeps you sober. Mm. And, um, and so, um, I remember then I started like, then I made a real commitment to a recovery program that this alcoholic was in. And, um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I took it really seriously. And, this was in like, this was November 15th of 2015. I was 27 years old. And, uh, and then, um, and I stayed sober for about two months, I think. Um, and then I just slowly stopped trying. Like I just didn't go to, uh, my recovery program as much anymore. Like I convinced myself that I actually didn't like it. Um, I got bored. It seemed like everyone was really happy for me that I had like was turning it around. I no longer felt that pressure to like get other people to like me anymore. And, uh, and then I'm, and then one day I came home and there was like a bottle of oxy out. I came home to long Island mm-hmm. and there was like a bottle of oxy out on the counter. And I remember being like, Oh, it's right on the counter. Like I literally have to take it. Cause it's like there. And so I did. And then I had like, I was then like out like relapsing and had that like began like the nine worst months of my life. And I truly don't remember a lot about them, but mm-hmm. um, I just remember the feelings. Like I remember being so sad. I remember feeling so alone. I remember feeling like I let myself down so much. Like I, there was no one I could talk to. Like 
I remember every time I was alone, I just started hysterically crying and I don't even cry that much. I'm famously stoic. And I like, I remember being like at a, you know how like you would have those Lloyd night nights where like you had to hang out with your team. Mm-hmm. Like I remember being at a karaoke drinking a lot, but I remember not being in pictures where I was drinking. And then, um, and then I remember going to the bathroom and as soon as I closed the door, just like hysterically crying and I didn't understand why. Yeah. And, and I felt very, very crazy. And, um, and was like very regularly putting myself into like physically unsafe situations. And, uh, and I like thought I was going to die. Like at that point I really was like, yeah, this is gonna, cause I hadn't like, I had been in a recovery program for, for a couple of months and I kind of knew I was armed with more like knowledge about the disease of alcoholism and addiction, but that just doesn't cut it. You know what I mean? It doesn't help you stop. But I was like, to the effect of where I was like, yeah, this thing will kill me if, and, um, and that's fine. Like I was just like, I was just very apathetic and I felt very beaten. And I thought that I couldn't get more than, I remember one time having like 12 days. Um, and that was like a lot. I remember being like, Oh, maybe this will be like it again. And then I lost it. And I was having trouble putting together even like two sober days together. And, uh, and it was bad. And then when I did drink, it would be like, it would be up to five days of just complete chaos and like carnage to my life, like burning things down, destroying everything, like pissing people off, disappearing, not showing up places, uh, just going MIA. And, uh, it was bad. It was really bad. And, um, and then it got so bad that like, there were lots of other like bottoms that I had, but, um, but for some reason, what got me in the rooms was like, I mean, what got me back into um, recovery was I remember being so exhausted the following November. So like it had been almost exactly a year after my first um, meeting with that other alcoholic. And I looked like shit. Like I was like a shell of a human being. Um, and I had taken a month off of my current Lloyd team because I hated it. Like I hated every, I couldn't do anything without drinking. I hated being every single place that I was. And, uh, and I had no money and no hope. And, um, I remember I took a month off my Lloyd team and it was just nice to not have to go anymore. And so I emailed that same artistic director and I was like, uh, I'm not going to come back. And she asked me to come in for a meeting to discuss it. And so I went in and I don't know if she had thought I'd been doing better than I, I was, but, I'm not sure. She didn't know why I was leaving. And, um, at this point I knew like I had to change something. And I was like, I have one cousin who went to rehab in Connecticut and I didn't have health insurance and I was very poor. And I was like, I don't think I can get into a rehab, but maybe there's like a sober house or something that I can go to. And I did not know what a sober house was and I still don't know what it is, but I had heard that phrase. And I was like, maybe I'll do that. I just had to get away from this situation. Like I just have to get out of here and like, and maybe that'll help. And, um, and I, uh, went in and our AD was like, wait, so what's going on? And I was like, yeah, that stuff we talked about last year. Like it's a lot more difficult than I thought. And it's not going well. And I'm fearful for my life. And, um, and I have to like do something and, and I'm going to Connecticut to, be in a sober house. And she looked at me like, what, like, what are you talking about? And I told like everyone in my life I was doing that. And so I quit that team and it was just, it was just going um, into Thanksgiving. And then on Thanksgiving, there was like a total mess where I had like stolen pills from my dad, stolen pills from my uncle, had this kind of explosive argument with my dad and then left to go work at this running store in Brooklyn that I, um, that I worked at at the time. And I was staying at my brother's house in Astoria. And I remember being so scared because when I first started stealing pills from people, I would only take it if it was like a full bottle and I would take like a couple. So no one would notice, but by the end it would be like, there would be like three left and, and I'd be like, they're going to know I took it, but I would be like, I don't care. And I would just take the last three and be like, hopefully they feel too awkward to say something to me. Like that was the kind of person I became. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'd done that to both my dad and my uncle on Thanksgiving. And, uh, and 
me, my, my immediate family doesn't talk about a ton of stuff. So I could kind of get away with that stuff. But my uncle started calling my phone because he knew it was me that had taken his Adderall and, um, and I wasn't answering. And my cousins were texting me because my cousin who had been in rehab was texting me because I guess he had told her what happened. And I just like could not answer the phone. I was alone in my brother's apartment in a story. I just like hold up drinking tall boys, like kind of coming down and watching Gilmore Girls a year in the life, um, which like honest to God, like I hated, I really didn't like the Gilmore Girls and I had told people that. And I was like literally watching Gilmore Girls revival on Netflix to like remind myself that I hate it and just agree with myself on something mm-hmm. and trust my own discernment again. And by like the second episode, I was like, I fucking love this. And I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I cannot even trust my thoughts about anything. Oh um, and I felt it was crazy. And then, and then this is so corny, but I always say it when I'm talking about like my story, because it was real. Like I, then I am not, or I've never been in my life, like a spiritual person. I don't believe in like anything. That's my thing. It's fun. It's flirty. Um, and I was walking, I, my, the subways to my running store were like weird that day. And I had to take the subway I don't usually take. And it was raining. And I was like, I had all these calls on my phone from my uncle that I wasn't responding to. I also was owed like $200 worth of Adderall from the guy I was buying it from, which at that time to me was a truly astronomic amount of money that I had paid mm-hmm. ahead of time, which I typically didn't do. And so I was at this weird crossroads. I was like, what am I going to do next? Is this dealer going to call? And if he does, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle things with my uncle? Um, and I was walking down the street that I never walked down in Brooklyn and it was like raining. And I like looked up on, on the wall. There was this like random graffiti that was like, if you can't change yourself, how do you expect to change the world if you can't even change yourself? Mm. And I truly do not aspire to change the world. Don't care at all. But it was just like this weird moment I had where I was like, I can't, I need to start taking control of the things that I'm doing to other people. Like other people are getting hurt. I am hurting the people that I love and it's not just about me anymore. And I can't stop. And like, and I'm not innocent in all this and like, I'm not even trying anymore. And so then I remember I went to work and I remember giving the drug dealer like 10 more calls after work. And I was like, I think this guy's screwing me over and I'm pissed. But I was just too tired to do anything about it. And I went home to Long Island and I slept and I woke up the next morning and I, I swear to God, I don't know why I did this. I, because this is not me. I would never do something like this. Like I will avoid discomfort at all costs, but I was like, I'm going to call my uncle back. And I called him and I was like, I know why you're calling me. I took your Adderall. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. I need help. And I just remember he like showed me so much kindness and it, Mm truly saved my life. He was just like, listen, you're not the first person this has ever happened to. You're not the only person who has gone through this. Um, you need help. And like, there is help. And like, he gave me numbers of people to call and it was like 10 AM, which was really early for me to be awake at that time. I remembered that when I had been home during my previous like bout of sobriety, there was this noon meeting behind my high school. And, uh, I just remembered it had cheese and crackers. And I was like, I guess I can just go to that spot and get some cheese and crackers because I wasn't going to start doing any kind of like program until I I was convinced I had to leave somewhere Mm -hmm. and that it was pointless to start going before I left. But um, I was like, I guess I can just go there because I told my uncle I would. And uh, I went there, ate cheese and crackers, like talked to the people there. The next day I like woke up and uh, I was like, okay, I guess I'll go get more cheese and crackers. And truly like cheese and crackers like kept me sober for the first 10 days. And I remember I wasn't calling my, that old alcoholic that I, that had helped me the first time because I couldn't tell how real it was. And I like didn't trust myself. And also I had this like call out to this dealer who had $200 worth of my Adderall that he was supposed to be giving me. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do when he calls me back. And I remember at around like day, like 14, I was like, this is real. And I now have a chance to get my sanity back and to get my life back. And that's when I decided like, no matter what happens with this dealer, like I'm not, I'm not going to get, he can keep my $200. And, uh, which is funny that I was buying, I was like $200 or my actual life, like what is more valuable. <laughs> right. And it felt like such a close call at the time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to do it. And that he never did call. Like he was screwing me over the whole time. Never pay ahead of time to your dealers, people. And, um, <laughs> that's the advice. That's the takeaway. And then, <laughs> and then I called my, the old alcoholic and I was like, listen, I have 14 days and, uh, 
and I made a decision that I was just going to like take a break from, I thought I might never do comedy again, to be honest. I was like, I'm over it. I don't like what, what I became in that world. And, Mm -hmm. and for like the first like month of sobriety, it's crazy. Your brain is so wound up. You can't think straight. Like you don't know how to pass time. You, you, You can't read a book. Like it's, your brain is like scrambled eggs. And I remember like I would go on like every day I would go to two meetings of my 12 step program. I would run like twice and I would shower like five times and just try to get to the end of the day, um, without doing anything stupid. And, uh, and like bit by bit, it gets easier. And, um, and all of a sudden, like, I just, it's so weird because I was never, I said I was never going to come back to Long Island, like put it on my tombstone. I want to get off of Long Island, but now I am so entrenched in like a recovery network. And I have this like support system out here of people that I've come to like love that would have never been in my life. And, uh, it's so strange. Like I, it's so funny because it's the best thing in my life now. And I would have never, ever, I had, I never planned like when I was, um, 28 to move back to Long Island and like go to meetings for a recovery program every day forever. Um, but like somehow that happened and like now it feels some days I just feel like I'm sane again and I get, and it's crazy. It's such a gift. And it's like, that's unbelievable. I, I can't believe I got this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what, what's also crazy is today our shower is broken and I was driving over to my cousins to take, to use their shower. And I thought they were going to be out on their boat. And I literally thought to myself, like, it's that same uncle. And I was like, I bet he has a ton of Adderall. Mm. And I was like, am I going to take Adderall? You know, like I, it could at any second, it could, and I went to 10 meetings this week because I've been laid up with my foot. I haven't been able to work. Mm-hmm. And at any given second, it can like slide in. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's like a mental illness, like, and yeah. it'll never go away. But at least now I have like, now I understand it. You know what I mean? Like when I have those thoughts, I can call someone and be like, this is what I just thought. And mm-hmm. like, it's wild, but I don't remember what the question that was in response to well, anymore. That's, but I think what is interesting about that too, like the, you could at any point, you're asking yourself those questions still, it's still on your mind. Is like, I think a lot of people do have an idea maybe of addiction recovery. Like you're an addict, you hit rock bottom and then you go and recover, but it's not like that. It is something that is chronic for your whole life is going to be something that you're dealing with and something you treat like a chronic illness. Versus like, oh, I hit rock bottom and now I'm like getting mm-hmm. help. It's not that clean. It's not that simple. Crazy. And yeah. I'm so, Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. And also like, what I've also, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say too, no, like I'm so glad you have that system because I think something else you're talking about was the friends around you who love you so much and I'm sure never hated you and were never, they were just probably, I'd imagine, concerned. But like no one really knows how to help. And right. that's a really weird feeling when you see someone yeah. who needs help, but you can't, you can't give it to them. You can't, you don't know how to help them. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, you can't get anyone else sober. And like, sometimes the more you try it, the more like damage you do, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. which sucks. But, um, wait, I would actually be curious to know, since you were around me a lot at that time, I would be interested to hear, and you could say whatever you want, like what your, what your kind of like image of me was at that particular time in my life when we were around each other a lot well you've always been the most hilarious person I've ever met regardless of what state you are in or where you were in your life like you are just a brilliant mind and so sharp and funny and I always saw that no matter what and it was sad because there were days when like as your teammate or as your friend I could tell there was something going on and like not knowing what to do. And especially because it wasn't like your mm-hmm. best friend or your family and being like, I see it, but I don't know how to work with this. And then there were people I would never name names or blaming one of their people that like w- I would see drinking with you or like I was part of that community too and I was doing it. And that's a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. But I think the main thing was like, I had yeah. no idea what to do and you were always so funny and smart and I was so sad that you were that you were going through it and didn't know what to do. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I mean that's what's so um yeah, it's just wild. Like even like cuz it's crazy like like people who are alcoholic it's like sometimes your like your family is going through it too and it's like but if they haven't made the decision like you just can't 
you just can't help them really. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. unless they want it. Yeah. Um, and it's wild. Yeah. Because you're insane. Like when you're out there, you're insane. You're a full psychopath, you know? It's and I would, so, yeah. if, if anyone said it, like people said stuff to me and I fucking wrote them off, like bit their heads off, like t- twisted their words, made them seem like assholes to other people, like uh, ran like smear campaigns against them. Like I was, I was out there, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So how do you feel now about comedy, like um, both in terms of community and that piece of your life? Yeah, it's funny. So like I said, like when I, when I kind of had that like surrender moment, I really thought that I might never do comedy again. And, um, and it's so, I remember people in recovery coming up to me when I would be like sharing and being like, I, I don't, cause you get asked to do shows and, um, you don't really know what to say. And it's hard to know, like, cause you're like, I want this to be the biggest priority in my life right now. Cause it's so important. But if I can do other stuff too, like, Maybe I should, and you don't want to say no. Um, I remember people being like, just be okay saying no to stuff right now. Like, just guiltlessly focus on this. And I did, and it's so weird. Like, comedy has just, like, fallen into place. Like, I remember at first being like, yeah, maybe I'll just do a show every couple of months just to, like, keep in touch with friends. And I just would say yes to these, like, stupid little shows and just do them for fun. And then I kind of sweat. I, I used to do a lot of improv. I was like, I don't know that I want to go into do go into the city to do improv. But so I just started saying yes to like stand up shows. And then all of a sudden there was like a stand up show every week. And then all of a sudden there was like multiple shows a week. And then all of a sudden the shows were like kind of like bigger and like more shows that felt more important with bigger audiences. And, um, and I just kept showing up to them and like, I just kept showing up to where I was supposed to, but then like, but never, never putting so much pressure on it. Like I was always like, well, the most important thing is that I get to bed sober tonight. I could probably also do this show. So I'll go, I'll go and show up at this stupid place. At the time I said I would show up and I'll, and I'll do a set. And if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. And, um, just kind of haphazardly, like without me even noticing it, like, like comedy is like, my comedy is not, it's far from like where ideally you would love it to be, but it's, absolutely in the best place it's ever been. Like in the last six months I've gotten representation and I got to go to San Francisco a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and, and I get to do like tons and tons of shows that I used to always wish I was booked on. And, um, and I feel like when I see other comedians, they, I, you don't see it in their eyes of like that kind of weirdness where it's like, Oh, that person's funny, but but there's something wrong. Like it, it feels like I'm, I can be, I can root for other comedians now and I could feel them being happy for me. And, um, I don't know, like I, and I don't put any, like my happiness no longer or my self-worth no longer is completely dependent on like comedy or like if I'm funny and that's been a gift of sobriety because it lets me actually enjoy comedy. I don't have to like freak out before every show. I'm I can feel like this is just another thing in my life and um, it's not the most important thing. Uh, And because I feel that way, I could like enjoy it. And I still don't know what's going to happen with it. Like sometimes I feel like overwhelming pressure. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to do comedy anymore still. Like, I don't know if I'm getting, I don't know if this is, if this is really satisfying to me or if this is creating more kind of like worry than it's worth. Mm -hmm. Um, But but I don't have to like decide that I, I now know I don't have to like make those big grand decisions of like, I'm never going to do comedy again. Or like, I need to be the best comedian ever. Or, like I absolutely have to get famous or like all that stuff. I could just be like, well, today I'm supposed to do this show. Like might be fun to do this material. Um, and I could go and like have fun and I don't have to be like the best one there. I don't have to like convince myself I was the worst one there. I could just, you know, be one of everyone else. And, uh, and it's great, you know, yeah. like comedy is great. It's, it's yeah. Comedy is great right now. I, I, I'm enjoying it right now. I'm going to, and now I'm, I just today am moving into a new apartment in Bushwick, which has been, you know, I've been sober for a little over 18 months now. And, uh, it's been a goal from the beginning to, I I was like, man, I might have to be sober for like a month or two before I kind of get back on my feet and get out of this house and into the city again. And it's taken like almost two years. And, uh, so it's big. I'm like moving into Brooklyn. That's been a big goal. I'll be able to say yes to more shows. Cause I still, that's the other thing about comedy now is like, I don't like sacrifice self care for, for a show. Like mm-hmm. if I feel like 
it's not best for me to do a show or if I need to go to a meeting instead or if I need sleep, like, mm-hmm. then I'm like, right, well, then maybe this show isn't one that I'll do, you know? And I didn't used to have that ability. It used to be like, this is my God. Comedy is more important than everything and everyone, especially myself. And um, so whatever. So like, but be, being in Bushwick, I'll be able to say yes to more stuff without like kind of compromising um, on that stuff. And so that's good. But of course, there's like so much fear around it because I have, I don't think I have enough money and I'm worried about my temp job is ending and, um, and I'm scared. Like I, I am so scared, but, but like in sobriety with recovery, like I can like deal with fear and, and be like, and just trust that things are going to be okay. Even if it, like, whatever that looks like, like if it means I'm going to get a great new job tomorrow and have like more money than I've ever had, or if I don't, and I end up having to like move out of this apartment and back home again, like no matter what happens, like I will be okay and I can be sober and, and I don't presume to know like what should happen anymore. And I can just kind of live life in a more like loose way, if that makes sense. Oh my God. I wish I had that. I wish I lived loose. Oh my God. I'm constantly gripping. Um, <laughs> I mean, I say that, I say that, but it's like, it takes so much work to get to that place. Like, yeah. it's like I, every single second I like have a full freak out and then I need to take like two hours to like, get to that like moment of serenity and then like something happens and it's gone. Yeah. But at least I like can, can do that. Yeah. You can do that and you can like, it sounds like you can recognize the sort of higher level things going on in your life and like the priorities and understanding the cycles and understanding the way things are like from a much higher plane than just being in the day to day being carried by Mm -hmm. like whims of emotion or, or freaking out all that. Like you can now take a step back and recognize that it's happening and not be swept away by it Uh, with the friends that you had and like the friends you have now, have you had to make shifts in your social life and the people in your life to support your recovery? Yeah, it's, it's weird. You know, like, it's just there's just more people there's just lots of people I never would have met like the people it's it's like now yeah it's just I kind of feel like caught between two worlds you know what I mean like sometimes I feel like it's like I keep going back and forth between like Long Island recovery and this like group of people and then like you know like New York comedy which is is so different and but I'm able to like enjoy them both you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's like it's funny because I I feel that's like, I'm, that's one reason I'm scared to move back into the city is like, I'm going to miss these people, which is so I'm mad at myself that I'm like, like lamenting moving away from Long Island. Cause I never wanted to like these people. You know what I mean? Like when mm-hmm. I first came in, I was like, not here to make friends. And, um, and it's crazy to me that I've like become, that I care about these people so much. And, uh, but, but like it has it. I would think that life has just gotten bigger and like, so more people have come into it and my world has just gotten a lot bigger in the past year and a half. Um, but it is like, there are certain things I can get from my friends from recovery that I cannot get from non-alcoholics. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and so those relationships are like in a weird way, like a little bit more special, like, um, yeah. So I don't know, but I'm going to, when I move into the city, I have not found a city uh, like, um, I have not found a network in the city that I really connect with yet. And so I'm a little concerned and I'll probably keep coming out to Long Island after work for a bit, mm-hmm. um, to see them, but I don't know how long that'll last, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It takes some time to find the new, the new network you connect with. That makes sense. Um, and were, are there things, I guess, like in general, are there things people in your life do that, that you find particularly supportive like, oh, I'm really grateful my friend did this or asked this or said this. Like, are there are there things you see that make more supportive friends for you? Hmm. I don't know. Like, part of me is like, I don't care because it's like, this is my responsibility. Like, mm. um, don't worry about it. Um, but it's like, I think I feel incur- like I, 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 lots of friends came out to, to um, when I had one year and like celebrated that with me. Um, they came from the city to Long Island and that was like supportive. Sometimes it's like my kind of contrarian nature. Like I don't like when people, it feels like people are being supportive to me. Like (laughs) I, I, 
reject that for some reason um so it's like i don't know sometimes people be like i'm so proud of you and i'm like actually fuck yourself yeah that's what i was gonna ask too like is that ever annoying (laughs) yeah it often is annoying and it's it's funny because sometimes it's annoying and sometimes it's not and i don't know Uh why you know what i mean like there's certain people where it's like okay you aren't allowed to say that (laughs) um but then i didn't know it till you said it and now i know (laughs) It might just depend on, like, if I'm hungry or not at that moment. But um, <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I do feel like my comedy friends are, like, round. I think everyone roots for, like, an underdog. And I feel like I was so kind of, like, down and out for a long time that, like, even just in comedy, everyone's been very supportive of me. And I feel like that narrative has kind of been written for me of, like, oh, my God, he came back and now he's sober and it's beautiful. Um, and so I think I just feel like it's more of, like, an energy. Like, I feel like people... I remember even during my relapse, I, I would say things like, yeah, like, I'm taking a little break from that. Like, I don't know if I really need it. And people would be like, you were really great during those two months where you were doing it. Like, you should keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Or even just friends, like, listening and talking to me when I, when I like, need someone to talk to. Like, things as simple as that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't like, look for that because it, it is, like... It's something I get elsewhere. You know what I mean? My friends outside of program, like, I don't, I don't need support from them really because it's like, it feels like it's like, that's a separate thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. And what advice would you give to someone who thinks they may have a substance abuse issue or if they're wondering if this is something they should look into? I would say the same thing that my uncle said to me. I would say, this isn't your fault. You're not the first person this has ever happened to. You're not the only person this is happening to. And I would say, um, I don't know if you think you have a problem that's probably not by accident. And like, but the good news is, is like there is a solution and that uh, it, and find a recovery program because it's very, very hard to do by yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and find some, if there's anyone in your life that, you know, is sober, reach out to them and ask them what they did. And, uh, and that could be a good first step. Yeah. And that, and also like there's, I mean, I mean, I was 20, I was 28 when I got sober and I remember feeling like, I remember saying to friends like, Oh my God, I remember because pe- friends would mention like, Oh yeah, we went out to this bar. Like this like famous person was there and, and like people were doing Coke. And I remember being like, I want to do Coke. And I remember being like, I'm never going to have fun again for the rest of my life. And it's like in the last 18 months, I've had like more fun than I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I would just say that too. It's like, it's like the party is not over. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, um, it's just gets better, you know? Yeah. And I think you're also saying something that I think will be resonant to people who do comedy. You said earlier that you feel like your career is opening and opportunities are opening for you now. And I feel like you've heard the narrative of like, yeah, no, I need to have a drink to perform or I need to like, you know, it's part of my, you know, image or whatever it is that you don't need to be using substances Mm -hmm. to be funny too and be successful. Totally. And I I also think that whole mindset is very kind of like, I also think that whole mindset is very kind of like passe right now. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I feel like sobriety is very in. I feel like it's very now. (laughs) I I credit you, Pat. That's all you. (laughs) To be someone who's like, I, yeah, I'm, I mean, people always copy me. Exactly. Um, and I just think, I think the whole like train wreck movie, I think the whole movie where it's like she's blonde and she like drinks too much. Can you believe? Like, I think that's like over. I think that's gauche now. And now it's like, oh, like this person's fine and interesting in other ways, you know? Right. Like, and I also, what I would say about people specifically in the comedy world yeah. is you get, is you get so sucked in uh-huh. to like this world that's so insular and you forget yourself. And it's like, you know what, like take a step back, like whatever you need to do for you to be okay, for you to not like sleep on a train, like whatever you need to do to be physically okay and mentally sane, do that first. And comedy is not going away. Mm -hmm. And like, and just don't turn your life over to this. You know what I mean? It's not worth it. You know what I mean? By a long shot. Yeah. That's how I feel. And as soon as you like make that realization, it gets so much easier to do. Yeah. And no one of value will cut you out in the meantime. Like if they're someone or an institution that has your back, they'll be so excited you're working on yourself and coming back better. 
So I can't imagine it going away if you right, take exactly. that time. Um, I I really totally. I so admire you, and I don't want to say proud because we know that I, mean, I don't know if you've eaten or what, but I just uh, think like, no, I, <laughs> it's I, I just wouldn't amazing. be mad at you if you said proud because I, I I think this is the distinction. If someone was like if someone was like around me a lot, like um. Mm-hmm when it was really bad and they say they're proud of me, that makes me feel good because okay. I think I still have guilt over like how I acted around certain people. Mm-hmm. So that would be fine. Cause I feel like I was around you a lot when I was bad. Mm-hmm. But if like someone who's like 24 who I just met tells me they're proud of me, I'm like, you <laughs> need to seek treatment because you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask about your new catchphrases, um, wait, but you need to, to seek treatment is went- your catchphrase, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Trademarked. I'm actually, yes, trademarked. In the process of trademarking, yeah. Uh, slightly off topic when I was in, in the process, slightly off topic, I, um, when I was in San Francisco, I ran into the, like a, a bunch of the people from MTV's The Challenge, which you and I are both fans of. <gasps> oh I ran my into God. Cam, Leroy, <laughs> Jenna, Cam, Leroy, and Jenna. And I was talking to them and I was like, just fangirling out. Like, I'm like, Jenna, I love you so much. Like, and I was talking to Cam, who's new, and she's like 24. And I was like, hey, Cam, I love the show. And she's like, I'm really proud of you. And I was like, okay, like just <laughs> apropos of nothing. Like, oh my I guess God. that's just what she says to fans. Were they I was at like, the I'm comedy years festival? Old, Cam, what? Thank you. That's amazing. They, so they were there because they, they were doing this bit where they did Double Dare Challenge as hosted by Mark Summers against like comedians. Oh, my God. That's just a lot to take in, those facts. Jeez. It was wild. That's wild. Yeah, it was a lot. They were great though. Leroy just Leroy just kept repeating, "Thanks for watching the show. Thanks for watching the show." Oh my I was God. like, "Leroy, of course, of course, you're a robot at this point." Um, but I, but I am really proud of you, and I think all the stuff that you're talking about and the way you're talking about it is so powerful and helpful for others because I think there is, like you're saying, I do think we're removing some of the stigma, and I and I do think that's just from honestly talking about it and what it really looks like. I think, like. Like we were saying, I think people are understanding more about addiction, but I really don't think they know what goes into it and like the process that people take and everyone being different to to go through recovery. So I think the that talking about it is really incredible and I'm so happy to hear you talk about it from this perspective. It's really amazing. And I feel like I'm not articulate, but I'm just very emotional right now. Um but yeah. No, thank you so much. And I want to say to to any listeners that I'm usually hysterically <laughs> fucking funny. And I just like, this just wasn't the time or place. It you wasn't I mean? the time or place. And honestly, that's on me as a podcast host. Like I should have found ways for us to do bits more often throughout the conversation. I'm so sorry. Um, but no, I will say like. I kept, talking, I kept talking for like 20 minutes. It was perfect. This was the exact conversation that I only rudely interrupted intermittently with horrible things that were worthless and was like, thank God Pat is talking. Um, But I will say to the (laughs) listeners, if anyone is interested, Pat is truly the funniest person. I just am such a big fan and we need his comedic voice in this world because honestly, there's a lot of trash out there and there's a lot of people who copy Pat. And if you like comedy, you probably would like Pat because those comedians have copied Pat. It's true. Like, if you've ever heard the phrase, can't believe, that came from Pat, and I know everyone has heard it. I invented that. You invented can't believe. I invented that in my 20s. <laughs> it's been a crazy decade. Um, wild. Wild. Well, Jeannie, <laughs> truly a crazy decade. I, I'm so mad I don't remember my mid-20s, um, <laughs> because most great art is about your mid-20s. I know, like... Garden uh, State. I tweeted that. I just reused a tweet that I tweeted and, and on a podcast. Gross. You should have pretended you were about to tweet um, okay. it because people don't know when Jamie, we're recording. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for doing this, Pat. You're the best. If people do want to right. find you, where would you point them on the internet or in shows and stuff? This is this is actually specifically where I'm going to point you. Okay. Totally. I do shows all around town in NYC. Um, I would follow me on Twitter, P-O-R-E-G-A-N. And I would also actually go ahead and, yeah, like, follow me on Insta, too. Like, Why not? P-A-T-R-E-E-G-S, Pat Reeks. Pat Reeks. Why not? Go for it. Go and for it. Also, something you should know is David Rudolph, the hot lead defense attorney from Netflix's The Staircase, did just follow me on Twitter. It's huge. Um, so... 
Join the club. Join the club. And if anyone likes reality TV, let us know in general. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this show, Pat. <laughs> No problem. I'm so glad I did that. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to Relatively Healthy. If you liked what you're hearing, please check us out on Twitter. We're at 844-STILLRX. You can also find us on Facebook at the Relatively Healthy Podcast. And we would love it if you would subscribe on iTunes. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a five-star review. That would be incredible. And yeah, we also, another thing is we have a hotline. So if you call 1-844-STILLRX and leave a message, you can talk about if there's any episode you've heard and you have feedback and you want to talk it back with us, please leave a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you for listening. New episodes every Monday. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.